You are listening to the Blessed Sacrament Roman Catholic Parish Podcast. We are disciples in mission who know God, love God, and serve God. John the Baptist was called by the Lord at a specific point in history to make straight the paths of the Lord as we heard, to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus, which of course is the core theme of this Advent. For us, it's a double preparation in a sense. It's rejoicing over the coming of our Lord Jesus at his birth, at Christmas, which we celebrate. It's also a spiritual preparation as we prepare for the Lord in his second coming. I've come today to preach uh, about another John, another saint of his time, who in his own way was called to introduce Christ to the people, uh, a people uh, across the pond, as they say, uh, other side of the world. Uh, This is the story of St. Juan Diego and Our Lady of Guadalupe. I know that all of you perhaps have at least heard some parts of this story, but perhaps you will learn something new. And I think it really does dovetail beautifully with the theme of Advent, Um, as I've said. So, It was 10 years after the conquest of Mexico by Hernan Cortez that Our Lady appeared to Juan Diego. And at that point in time, he was one of very few converts among the indigenous of Mexico. A big part of the reason being that Spanish rule was very harsh in the aftermath uh, of Cortez. And uh, despite the protests of the Franciscans, who were very good men, and, and wanted justice for the natives. Uh, the Spanish overlords were enslaving them, and it was a very uh, dire situation. And in fact, the uh, leader of the Franciscans, the new bishop, Bishop Juan Zumarraga, he had to go to great lengths to smuggle a letter uh, past the Spanish censors in Mexico to get to the king to warn him about how brutally uh, the natives were being mistreated and how bad the situation was there. He was afraid the situation was going to implode very soon. Juan Diego and his wife, Maria, had uh, been baptized and had come into the church. Uh, Sadly, she had died not too long after converting, and so he was a widower. And on the um, morning of the first apparition, he was actually on his way to receive catechesis from the Franciscans. He was on his way to Mexico City for that purpose. Uh, But as he was passing a hill called Tepeyac, he heard uh, this sort of heavenly bird song and he was drawn to it and so he he went up the hill and by his own account he saw a maiden there, a young maiden and she seemed to be glowing with celestial light. As he described it, she lit up the nature around her. The cactuses were shining like emeralds. The trunks of the trees were shining like gold. And this was her um, greeting to him She called him Juanito, and she said this, Know for sure, my dearest and youngest son, that I am the ever-perfect virgin, Holy Mary, mother of the one great God of truth who gives us life, the inventor and creator of people, the owner and Lord of what is around us and what touches us or is very close to us, the owner and Lord of the sky, the owner of the earth. This was very compelling language to indigenous ears because the native peoples of Mexico worshipped nature gods and they had believed that uh, sacrifices were required of the nature gods. Tlaloc, the god of rain, for example, demanded sacrifices 
in order to make the rain continue to fall. Huitzilpochtli, the god of the sun, uh, demanded sacrifices for the sun to shine, etc. And here she was sharing with Juan Diego, as he had already learned uh, through some of his catechism, that there was one great God over all things, and that this was the Lord of the heavens and the earth. One God. Our Lady continued, I want, and she gave her basically her mission to Juan Diego, what she wanted of him. She said, I want very much that they build my sacred little house here in which I will show him. I will exalt him on making him manifest. I will give him to the people in all of my personal love, in my compassionate gaze, he who is my help, he who is my salvation. And of course, here she was referring to Jesus. She was speaking of her desire to introduce Jesus to the masses. And this is important to realize in case we ever get criticized for our devotional related Guadalupe, in case any of our non-Catholic brothers and sisters who are Christian, if they accuse us of being worshipers of Mary, of idolaters of Mary, uh, we can cite Guadalupe to say, no, from the beginning, her purpose she made clear, it was to introduce her son to the masses. It was not to exalt herself. It was to introduce her son so that he, the true God, would be exalted. She continued, because I am truly your compassionate mother, yours and of all the people who live together in this land, and of all the other people of different ancestries, those who love me, those who cry to me, those who seek me, those who trust in me, because there I will listen to their weeping, their sadness, to remedy, to cleanse and nurse all their different troubles, their miseries, their sufferings. Now notice here, not only is she coming forth in all of her compassion to take care of her wounded children, but she is driving home the point that she is not just the mother of one people. She is the mother of all the peoples, of all the races, of all the different ancestries. And this is important to keep in mind, lest we fall into the misconception that Our Lady of Guadalupe is only mother to the Mexican people. She is mother to all the peoples. And that's why I love that if you go to our national shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., and if you go into the chapel dedicated to Our Lady of Guadalupe, you find lining both walls of that chapel all the peoples of the entire hemisphere represented. Now, I would never get into too much of a debate with a Mexican Catholic, and I would agree with them that, okay, she's primarily the patroness of Mexico. Like, I'll, I'll give you that but that doesn't mean she's not the patroness of, uh, of other peoples as well. And of course, and we should know that she is specifically the patroness of our diocese as well. And that lends itself to us getting to know her better and to ask for her intercession more and more and to understand that she is our mother. And so she gave Juan Diego this mission to go to the Bishop of Mexico to share her desire to have a little house built there. And this little house would take the very same pattern of, in Canada, if you know the story of St. Andre Bessette and the Oratory of St. Joseph, the inspiration first to build a little house, but that little house would, build, would grow into a massive temple, into a massive church or oratory. So he went to the bishop on that first day of the apparition, a Saturday. The bishop received him and listened to him very respectfully, but Juan Diego sensed that he wasn't really buying it, he wasn't really believing it. 
And so the bishop sent him away. He went back to Our Lady, went back to Tepeyac, shared that the bishop listened, but doesn't seem to really be on board. And Our Lady told him not to fear, but to come back again the next day. And so he did that. That next day was a Sunday. He went to Mass, so we have to commend him for that. He didn't break the obligation for the sake of all of this. He went to Mass. After Mass, he then went back to the bishop. And the bishop this time was impressed by his persistence. And so he listened to him even longer. This time the bishop asked him a barrage of questions. What did she look like? Tell me more about what she wants. Why do you think she wants it, etc., etc. And Juan Diego answered all the questions as best as he could. Then the bishop said this. If I do this, I can't just do it on your word alone. I need a sign. So I want you to ask Our Lady for a sign. And so... Juan went back, he reported back to Our Lady, and she called him, she consoled him, she called him down, she said, I will give the bishop a sign, come back here tomorrow. And so he went back home, and then he discovered that his uncle, Juan Bernardino, was deathly ill, and his uncle begged him to find a native healer to try to help him, and then uh, later asked him for a priest, begged him to find a priest to hear his confession and give him last rites because he was convinced he was going to die. And so Juan Diego spent that whole next day trying to find these people. Uh, But the following day, early in the morning, see, to find that priest, he had to go back to Mexico City, and to get to Mexico City, he had to go by Tepeyac Hill again. So he started to get a bit nervous. He didn't want Our Lady to, you know, find him while he was on this covert mission. So he went, he tried to circumvent Tepeyac, but she appeared right in his path. She said, my son, what are you doing? (laughs) And so he very ashamedly explained, I'm so sorry, I've had this crisis hit with my uncle. As soon as I take care of this, I promise I will go back to your mission for me. And that's when she then uttered these famous words that perhaps you have heard before to him. And this is another key, important part of the message of Guadalupe She said, listen, my dear son, put it into your heart that the thing that frightened you, the thing that afflicted you is nothing. Do not let it disturb you. Do not fear this sickness or any other sickness, nor any sharp or hurtful thing. Am I not here? I who am your mother, are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not the source of your joy? Are you not in the hollow of my mantle, in the crossing of my arms? Do you need something more? Let nothing else worry you or disturb you. And in that very moment, his uncle miles away was healed, as he would find later on when he went home. So Juan Diego was greatly comforted by these words, immediately set at peace and ready to continue to follow Our Lady's command. So in that very same apparition, she directed him to go to the top of the hill, and she said, go up there and collect the flowers of different colors that you will find up there and bring them to me. And he went up and he saw an array of colorful flowers that had no business growing on that hill full of thistles and cactuses in December in Mexico. There was frost on the plants. He finds these amazing flowers. He collects them in his tilma, that's his cloak. Uh, Native peasants of that time, the men wore these uh, cloaks made of cactus fibers, they were multi-use, very effective for 
protection from the sun, protection from the rain, uh, warmth from the cold. You could use them in sleeping bags and away blankets. They would carry their goods in them. So he gathered up these roses into his tilma and he brought them back to Our Lady. Our Lady rearranged the roses in his tilma and then sent him off to the bishop. So he went to the bishop. He was given an audience. The servants of the bishop were trying to dig into his tilma. You know, like, I don't know if they thought it was a security check or I don't know what they thought. But uh, they, could, they could see some roses hiding in there. And so they're like, What's, what is that? And they, but he wouldn't let them dig in too far. He didn't want to disrupt, you know, what Our Lady had arranged in there. So he's granted the audience. He explains everything again to the bishop. He said, I believe I have the sign that you were looking for. He unfurls the tilma. As the flowers fall to the ground, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe appears on the tilma as we know it today. That is the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. The bishop was immediately, everyone there, immediately overcome with emotion. The bishop started to cry and apologize for not believing sooner. And he set about to build that little shack, basically. It was basically started out as a chapel. It has now grown, as we know. It has now grown into the largest Christian pilgrimage site on earth. The shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe attracts more pilgrims per year than Rome. It attracts more pilgrims per year than the Holy Land. Over 20 million people every year visit the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And what happens there? This struck me a few years ago. I brought two American priest friends there. And remember the part of the message where she said, I yearn to introduce him, to give him to the people in all of my love. And what did we witness there? We witnessed one daily mass ending, another one beginning right on its heels. We witnessed the lines of the confessional, and we are seeing the realization of her desire, Jesus being given in the fullness of his presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity through the Eucharist to the people, being give, Jesus giving himself in the fullness of his mercy to people through the sacrament of confession that happens there every single day at the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. The other important part of the message of Our Lady Guadalupe is, of course, the miraculous image itself. Consider this. The tilma, that desert fiber cloak made of cactus fibers, those things fall apart within 10, 15 years max. This is the same tilma. It's the same image nearly 500 years later on display. The colors are still vibrant. You go there. You can, you can see them. It's, so that's part of the And there are many miraculous aspects I don't have time to go into. I just want to mention uh, two more things. Enemies of the church in the late 1920s during the Cristero War, they set TNT, they, they hid a bunch of TNT in a flower pot, and they placed it at the base of the image. And the force of that explosion shattered glasses, uh, shattered glass in homes, windows, in a one-kilometer radius, it exploded right in front of the image, which was protected by glass. The glass protecting the image didn't break. What did the image say to the native, the indigenous? To us, Christians, especially those of us who know the book of Revelation, it recalls the book of Revelation chapter 12, where if you remember, this mysterious woman appears in heaven, and there's the moon at her feet, and there's the sun behind her, and on her crown, on her head a crown of 12 stars. Um, the church has proclaimed, theologians have proclaimed that Our Lady Guadalupe is the woman of Revelation 12, 
The only difference being the absence of the crown, but that crown would have been meaningless to Aztec eyes because what indicated royalty for the Aztecs was not a crown. Uh, That was on the other side of the world. What indicated royalty to the Aztecs was a bluish-green vestment, which is exactly what she was wearing. So her blue-green mantle told the Aztecs that she was royalty, that she was a queen or an empress. Now, the Aztec gods and goddesses all had masks on their faces in the Aztec pictograms. She did not. So this told them that this was not a goddess, but this was a woman. But because she was standing in front of the sun, and because she was standing over the moon, that told the Aztecs that she was more powerful than their sun god and more powerful than their moon god. And what's more was they could clearly tell that she was pregnant. The black band uh, uh, over her waist told them that, not to mention that she kind of had a belly. And um, in addition to that, though, there was a special flower over her abdomen. This only shows up once on the image. Right over her abdomen was a special flower revered by the Aztecs. And it had four petals and a center point. The four petals indicated the four cardinal points of nature, northwest, east, south. The fifth point in the center, though, indicated transcendence. That flower placed over the abdomen told the Aztecs that in some way, heaven and earth met in her womb. It told them that this was the mother of God, that there was divinity in her womb. And so it preached all of this and more to the Aztecs. And it impacted them so greatly that all it took was the chieftain of an Aztec village to come and view the image and to go home and to tell his village. And then they would all come asking for baptism. The Franciscan friars could not baptize them fast enough. The estimates range from about 7 to 8 million baptisms over the course of about 10 years. One of the fastest in history, if not the fastest. This was truly a miracle from heaven as meant as a message to introduce people to Christ, an Advent, a true Advent message. And so, brothers and sisters, at the end of this Mass, you're going to receive a 10 by 8 print of the image of Our Lady Guadalupe. If you don't have her already framed and put up in your home, I invite you to do so. And I'm also going to give you a handout with these words of Our Lady to Juan Diego and invite you to meditate on them during Advent to help you prepare for the coming of Christ. On the reverse side of the handout, there are a few books on Our Lady Guadalupe. If you want to delve into the miracles of the image, one of the books in particular called Guadalupe Mysteries is a very good book. It's a hardcover. It's like a coffee table book, but it's well worth the price. Highly recommend it. Uh, And I won't be asking for donations this time because... Your donations are so generous for the miraculous medal that I use the excess funds to purchase these images. So um, so thank you for your generosity on that front. And uh, may we all grow closer to Our Lady of Guadalupe as both her feast day approaches on December 12th and as December 25th, of course, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ approaches as well. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Blessed Sacrament Roman Catholic Parish podcast. We are disciples in mission who know God, love God, and serve God.